This is the KOTO Community Radio News for Wednesday, March 30th. I'm Matt Hoish. And I'm Julia Caulfield. In today's headlines, remembering Rick Stewart. Public health provides second booster shots. A taste of Telski nightlife. And a mountain weather forecast. But first... Highway 145 closed near Silver Pick Road on Wednesday morning, the result of a two-vehicle accident. According to the San Miguel County Sheriff's Office, there were injuries but no fatalities as a result of the crash. The highway was reopened after a roughly two-hour closure. It's been a difficult last few weeks for many in the Telluride area. The deaths of several locals have cast a somber shadow over the waning days of the ski season. Mourning and remembrance take many forms. For San Miguel County Poet Laureate Joanna Spindler, fittingly, words are part of that process. Spindler recently took to the page to memorialize one of those recently lost locals, Rick Stewart. Another role that I hold in this community is working at the Wilkinson Public Library. And just this last week, we found out that one of our favorite patrons who was in the library pretty much on a daily basis um, passed away quietly in Denver. And he'll be really missed. And so I wrote this poem about him. Stewart's passing, Spindler says, feels like the end of an era. You know, even though he wasn't... uh, what you would probably call a powerful individual in our town or someone with a lot of so-called wealth or influence or things like that. Like, he he was really a beloved member of our community. And, you know, I didn't know him super well, but he was a presence who was always, he was always around. You know, he'll be missed because of that. Kids were fascinated by him, I feel like. And, and Rick really was quite was pretty quiet. He really kept to himself. He was pretty shy. He didn't like to be put on the spot too much is is what you could gather from his demeanor. But yeah, I just remember like a a kid one day dropping their glove on the stairwell in the library and Rick noticed it and picked it up and handed it back to the child. And the kid was like (laughs) looking at him like, "Are, are you as old as these mountains? You know, like just looking at this child taking in Rick's like, you know, gentle, gentle way of being. That's like a memory that stands out. This is called The Favorite Patron for Rick. Each day, more steadfast than the rainbows from the window prisms, you would climb the stairs and find your favorite chair. We liked to know that you were over there, your head inclined toward the open book propped on your arm, to all appearances absorbed in reading, but on second glance, gently asleep. Sometimes you were the last one out at night, too, and though we knew you didn't much like talking, if bade good night, you always answered back in your surprising, hearty voice with friendly glances from beneath your eyebrows. What exactly will we do without you here? What will the sidewalks think without you treading them on your faithful daily beat? The post office is lonely now, the street-side benches less complete. Rick, we will miss you. We did not allow ourselves to say it while you were around, but you were our favorite patron. Hope the pines wave gently in your memory. Hope the sun shines warm on you. Here at the library, we'll always keep for you a cordial seat. That was San Miguel County Poet Laureate Joanna Spindler reading her poem, The Favorite Patron, in honor of Rick Stewart, who died earlier this month.
San Miguel County Public Health will begin providing second COVID booster shots for those who are eligible. We're administering first, second, third booster booster doses. So whatever you need, um, as long as you're eligible, um, we'll be able to administer that. That's Grace Franklin, Public Health Director for San Miguel County. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention and the Food and Drug Administration recently approved a second booster dose for those who are 50 years and older and those 12 years and older who are immunocompromised. I think it's important to note um, the wording was very interesting with the FDA. Um, They determined that the known potential benefits outweigh the known and potential risks in these populations. San Miguel County has over 1,500 individuals who qualify for a second booster. Franklin says between public health and the medical centers, the county is prepared to administer the jabs. The earliest somebody could get a, a boost, second booster vaccine is if they receive their first booster um, in November. Um, so it'll be a rolling, even though 1,600 seems like a really high number um, for us Um, In our shop, it's going to be rolling um, as people become eligible for that time frame. And this definitely seems like something our, um, our team as well as our medical centers can manage. At the same time, San Miguel County is currently in its second wave of Omicron BA2. The subvariant does not appear to be more severe than the original Omicron, but does spread more quickly. With that said, Franklin notes BA2 isn't having a major impact on the community. BA2 has been identified in our wastewater. I think it's encouraging that even though it's prevalent here, um, we haven't seen a significant spike upwards, even though we're um, seeing a little uptick. Despite the more contagious subvariant, public health is scaling back on its case investigation and contact tracing for COVID. So starting this Friday, um, April 1st, we are going to also discontinue universal um, CICT or case investigation and contact tracing work. Um, that doesn't mean that we don't have staff doing this work anymore. We're, we're um, paring down from, um, I think, 13 temporary part-time staff to four staff. Franklin notes contact tracers working for public health will work on COVID surveillance, data collection, and outbreak mitigation. As public health moves into the COVID future, the department is staying flexible, preparing to move in and out of heightened response. In the short term, that means comings and goings from the off-season. Closing weekends at the ski area um, definitely brings a lot more um, socialization, right? And then same with spring break people traveling, um, different behaviors. And so there's a a possibility for increased transmission, but um, we do continue to have that high level of um, protection from how many people were infected with Omicron and how many people have continued to receive their boost vaccines and be up to date with their vaccinations. There's a lot to be cautious about, Franklin says, but also a lot of optimism. Dave? Hey, Matt. Matt, right on. Hey, nice to meet you. Yeah, for sure. It's a little before 1 a.m. when I meet up with Dave Stidger in a far-off corner of the Telluride Ski Resort in mid-March. It feels like an ungodly hour to be awake, but for Stidger, it's really the start of his day. He's a snowcat operator grooming the resort for the graveyard shift, midnight to 9 a.m. I'm there to tag along in his snowcat. Yeah, just the doors open backwards, so I, I always help people in. <laughs> Stidger has been with Talski for 17 years, all of them on the night shift. I like to train that the graveyard shift grooms. 
I like the chaos that ensues on a powder morning when you when every operator has to kind of go spider monkey on, on the whole place trying to get access created for skiers and snowboarders. Before this job, he was a baker and pastry chef. Stidger admits the two professions don't have much in common besides bizarre hours. Still, he says he's fallen in love with brooming. I get to drive a $400,000 tractor on snow. It's pretty fun. Every time a skier or snowboarder turns, Stidger explains, they're displacing snow, downhill, left, and right, and creating moguls. Groomers try to reverse that. Most of us probably think of corduroy when we think of them, the smooth lines that snowcats leave in their wake. But the corduroy, Stidger notes, is just the icing on the cake. The work that groomers do, you, you can't see. Does that make sense? It's underneath the corduroy. Again, we got rid of the moguls, and we got the snow back to the top of the trail, and got the snow off the edges, and you know, got it back into the middle. All right, I think I'm in. Cool, you good? Yep. All right, watch your elbow. Yep. Around 1.30 a.m., we're at our first run, Loosley's Way. Stidger helps me buckle in. Usually, he says, the run is groomed with a different kind of snowcat that hooks in with a cable for steeper spots. But tonight, he explains, that cat's not available, so we're free catting it without a cable. Just trying to get a feel for the scope of the work that this trail needs, sorry. As we traverse up and down the run, Stidger admits the obvious. The job can get lonely. You're in a machine by yourself for eight, nine, ten hours a night, you know? You get to have a little fun on the radio, joking around with your buddies. <laughs> but he also says he looks forward to coming to work. After 17 years, he estimates he's had about 15,000 hours of grooming. Well above the 10,000 hours, researchers say you need to master a complex skill. And the job is complex. Stidger estimates it takes four or five seasons to get proficient at it. And that's on top of learning the mountain and learning patterns and understanding fall lines. If you groom a trail in the wrong direction and the fall line is left to right, well, you would want to start it on the left so that your machine is not spilling snow onto your clean passes. Frankly, Stidger makes it all look easy. A little while later, he explains the snowcat controls, and I'm surprised how many variables he's considering as he drives. These are the sticks. So this controls the left track, this controls the right track. So you feather that pedal, you get your RPMs where you want. Control your speed, you are manipulating all the time. The dial is telling the hydraulic pumps how fast it turns the cutter bar on. That, that decides how quickly that cutter bar spins. If I click that to the left, it will bring the tiller right behind me how deep you penetrate the snow, how much up pressure or down pressure. Dumbo ears, yeah, defrosters, wipers, don't care about any of that. Even after the winter, Stidger is thinking about manicuring the landscape, albeit in an alternate sense. In the summers, he does a different kind of grooming, working on the Telski golf course. I have a, a lift operator friend that he used to work on the golf course as well. I had never really thought about it until he said something, but he's like, man, he's like, Dave, he's like, your entire existence is making lines and patterns. <laughs> I'm Logan. Matt, good to meet nice you. To meet you. Around 4 a.m., Stidger connects me with another groomer to join for a bit, Logan James. We chat while he works on Magnolia. It's James' second season at Telluride, but his 13th as a groomer. He's from Durango and a ski family. 
His dad, he explains, was on ski patrol at Purgatory for about two and a half decades. His mom started the children's ski program there. So I just grew up around the ski industry, and when I graduated high school, I was kind of like, well, what do I do now? I wasn't going to go to college. So I got a job driving cats at Purgatory at 17 years old, and been doing it ever since. James explains there is an artistry to grooming. In my eyes, a good groomer grooms how people would ski the train. So it's not just running everything over and having some of your passes going this way and some going that way. It's actually like having a good flowing pattern. It's a little after 7 a.m. and this world that's been black and white for the last several hours is starting to brighten up. I'm back with Stidger. We're pulled off high up on the mountain, taking a break to take in the sunrise. Does this ever get old for you? No. <laughs> Not at all. Well, we better do a little more work. Totally. We've got about an hour before we have to get the long drive all the way back to the shop. As we finish the last hours of grooming, everything feels like it's coming back to life. Ski patrol is buzzing about, and staff is starting to test the lifts. The mountain's becoming more familiar. We spot a handful of skinners here and there, and all the while, the radio is playing. A little before the end of the shift, Stidger gets a call to cover up some dirt. It takes a couple of passes, not only to cover the spot, but also to groom away the tracks he made beneath a thin layer of corduroy leaving only the slightest trace of what happened while we were there. After that, it feels like a photo finish to get off the mountain before it opens. But we manage, pulling in at 8.58 a.m. Parklets will dot Main Street once again this summer. Last week, Telluride Town Council passed a resolution allowing parklets this summer and into the future, laying out timing, size, and safety guidelines. In the guidelines, we identify requirements for the platforms, for the edging or the buffering, the barriers. Uh, they have to be ADA accessible. Well, we have some safety standards in the um, guidelines. We're limiting the parklet to one parking space, but you can go up to two parking spaces uh, if an adjacent business shares the parklet or agrees uh, that the parking space can be used for a parklet. That's Ron Quarles, Planning and Building Director for the Town of Telluride. Both bars and restaurants will be eligible for a parklet. For the first time this summer, retail establishments will not. The town is also charging a fee for parklets, 85% of the fee for the parking space the business uses. When it comes to timing, a full street of parklets will interfere with the Telluride Balloon Festival glow. According to Marilyn Branch, who runs the festival, a number of restaurants have agreed to delay their construction of a parklet to allow the balloon glow to take place. There are two people who are restaurants who have had parklets who do not want to delay construction. They want them in early and we've figured out how we could work around those two and still maybe have seven, maybe even as many as eight balloons on Main Street. 
Council is comfortable with several restaurants delaying Parklet construction to accommodate the balloon glow. Parklets will go up on the third Wednesday of May and stay up through the final day of October. The beginning of April means the close of the ski season. While the Telluride Ski Resort will close for the spring, Telluride is going out with a bang. Closing weekend kicks off on Friday, April 1st with Kodo's annual iconic Pink Flamingo-themed street dance, featuring Shakedown Street. Joint Point will also play a $1 community night at the Sheridan Opera House starting at 9 p.m. On Saturday, Teleski and the Telluride Brewing Company are pairing up for a goose chase scavenger hunt on the mountain starting at 10 a.m. with the DJ Wombat dance party to follow at the brew pub. There will also be a Hanorama Jamma Rail Jam at the base of Lift 4, starting at 4 p.m. Down in town, Lavalanche will play an opera ski at the Transfer Warehouse at 3.30, followed by stargazing at the Transfer with projection mapping, immersive art, and sound under the stars. Sunday, closing day. The Pond Skim will be at Garano's starting at noon with music from DJ Wombat. Soul Brass Band will play the Transfer Warehouse starting at 4.30. Then Monday... It's off-season. Nurse your head and head for warmer climbs. The Grand Mesa Uncompagre and Gunnison National Forests is welcoming a new acting deputy forest supervisor. Destiny Chapman steps into the role on a 120-day assignment after the departure of Tony Edwards. Chapman joins the GMUG from the San Carlos Ranger District at the Pike San Isabel National Forests and Cimarron and Comanche National Grasslands in Canyon City, Colorado, where she served as the district ranger for three years. Originally from Colorado, Chapman holds a Bachelor's of Science in Business Administration and a Master of Business Administration from Colorado State University, Pueblo. According to the GMUG, Chapman and her husband enjoy spending their free time in the mountain cabin they built themselves. Chapman assumed her position at the GMUG on March 14th. It's Budget Week at the state capitol, where lawmakers are debating a $36 billion spending plan. KOTO Scott Franz reports it includes historic investments in public education. Lawmakers want to spend $7 billion on K-12 schools next year. Democratic Representative Julie McCluskey of Summit County says it's the most the state has spent on education in the last decade. Helping to pay teachers a living wage and providing for those small class sizes, the curriculum, the professional development and supports that our students need. Colorado is restoring many parts of the budget it cut at the start of the pandemic. And McCluskey says lawmakers are spending $700 million for environmental causes, like stepping up air quality monitoring. The House is debating it this week, and it heads to the Senate next. Some Republicans are raising concerns, saying government spending is increasing too quickly. I'm Scott Franz. Elections for Colorado's 3rd Congressional District will be here before you know it. In anticipation of the hotly contested race, KVNF Radio spoke with the candidates running to represent the Western Slope in Congress. Here's Gavin Dahl speaking with Democrat Adam Frisch. What do you think is the single most important issue facing the residents of the 3rd District? I think the number one issue is, unfortunately, we have a representative who's not focused on our district at all. Representing the district is not how many Twitter feeds can I get, how much money can I raise from a national audience, how offensive I can be to the office of the president at the State of the Union address. 
how much I can ridicule the other side of the aisle in the House of Representatives, how I can burn bridges with as many people as possible. The vast majority of the district, in my mind, would love to see someone who can work on a bipartisan basis with respect to everyone. My plan is to get to the Problem Solvers Caucus is my first and probably only step, and that is a bipartisan group of House representatives that work on bipartisan issues in a thoughtful and comprehensive way. The infrastructure bill that was bipartisan, and I think most people believe was a big success, came out of there. And that's really what I think needs to happen. So this district, before we get into the specific issues, needs to have someone that's going to represent their district, not their Twitter account. So what is a specific piece of signature legislation you want to author in Congress? I'd love to partner with Democrats and Republicans and the few independents in the House to focus on a couple of things. One, rural broadband. I don't think that has a Democratic or Republican band to it. Protection of water rights for our district. It's really, really important. Uh, the story came out a couple of weeks ago that we're in uh, the worst drought in 1,200 years. I'm not exactly sure how the scientists figure that out, but the warning signs are there. The ranchers know that. The farmers know that. The hunters know that. The people in the recreation industry know that as well. And so I think, again, there are a bunch of bipartisan issues that are more rule-based that I look at than Republican-based or Democratic-based. Talk about water conservation, water delivery, protecting watersheds. Yeah, no, it, it's obviously really, really important. You know, I'm up here in the upper valley of Picking County, up here in the headwaters where the water comes down and, and we see that and we see the snowpack melt and that goes down to the important Western slope to make sure that the ranchers and farmers have access to it. There's a little bit of the breadbasket, if you will, for the rest of the country. And it's hard because it's a very, it's a very convoluted um, state law and there's a lot of federal laws. But again, I think it's gonna require a bipartisan effort for people to sit down with the ranchers, the conservationists, the farmers, and the environmentalists and figure out a plan that makes sense in the long term. Because what the rules were written 50, 80, 100 years ago, there's just not as much water as we all thought there was. And that is going to require, again, some compromise and some thoughtful, respectful dialogue. We need to work together. Whether the Democrats are going to remain slightly in the majority or not, we deserve a seat at the table. And again, it needs to be done in a bipartisan and calm manner. And we all need to work together. These issues that we're dealing with now are just too big for any one person or one party to solve. Talk about how you think our current Congress member, Lauren Boebert, is doing. Well, I think she's an embarrassment. I think she's betrayed the U.S. Constitution. I think she's betrayed the country. And you could argue, most importantly, on a daily basis, she has betrayed the families and the ranchers and the citizens of this district. Her focus is not on this district. It's on her own little persona of this, what I call the angertainment industry. And she's turned into one of the leaders of this angertainment industry. And I think the vast majority of people want pragmatic solutions and they want the tone turned down and actually focus on the district and solving problems instead of yelling at the office of the presidency, the state of a union address or making fun of people, even if they happen to be a little bit different. And so that's my most disappointed stuff. It goes way beyond the issues of this taxation or this regulation. It is really about the embarrassment. And I think a lot of people are starting to realize that. I think people are going to be very, very surprised when the elections happen in June as well as in the fall. Adam Frisch is running for Colorado's third congressional district. Thanks so much for speaking to KVNF. Have a great day. Thanks. The National Weather Service forecast for the western San Juans calls for mostly clear skies tonight with a low around 20 degrees. 
Thursday, there's a 20% chance of snow showers with increasing clouds and a high in the mid-40s. Thursday night, snow showers are likely with mostly cloudy skies and a low around 25 degrees. One to two inches of snow accumulation is possible. Friday, snow showers are likely in the morning with mostly sunny skies and a high around 45 degrees. Friday night should be mostly clear with a low in the mid-20s. This has been the news for Wednesday, March 30th. Thanks for listening. If you have a story idea or a news tip, call the news team at 970-728-3206. And now, a personal commentary. Hello there, Kodo listeners. It's Sarah Holbrook, the executive director of the Pinhead Institute, bringing STEM education to rural southwestern Colorado. I have some crazy science stories for you today, taken from the New York Times Science Times, which comes out every Tuesday for subscribers. First of all, there have been some new fossils found in Australia that were trilobites from 500 million years ago. Trilobites are kind of their era's version of, say, a horseshoe crab, if you've ever seen those. And these were some pretty big ones, up to like 10 inches long. Um, And they found that some had evidence of cannibalism, either because they were found with shells that had been disturbed or or bitten or hacked. Um, And then they also found poop that had trilobite shells in them. And so they figured that these trilobites were some of the first cannibals ever, if you can believe that. Another um, kind of interesting, a little bit disturbing story, but also kind of confusing, is that there's been a huge several dozen thousand person study done in England through Cambridge University on social media use and adolescence. Um, And it's always very difficult to detangle causation from correlation or the other way around, correlation from causation. You can see two things happening at the same time and you don't know if one caused the other. Um, People are concerned about the effects of social media on uh, children and teens um, and especially with regard to depression. But some studies have found that there's the equivalent influence on well-being as wearing eyeglasses or regularly eating potatoes. Well, now there's a new study out that says that at two times during an adolescence lifespan, um, there are direct correlations they have found uh, between the adolescents' feelings about life um, and social media use. Uh, It was a survey of more than 84,000 people of all ages, um, and it found lowered ratings of life satisfaction first around puberty, and that's ages 11 to 13 for girls and 14 to 15 for boys, and then again for both sexes around age 19. I thought that was pretty interesting. Anyhow, you can read them both in the New York Times and I'm sure other sources as well. There's some interesting pinhead news happening right now. I've been placing all of our wonderful interns for this summer, and now we need housing in San Diego and the La Jolla area, which is always a place that we need some help in housing. So if you know anyone, get in touch with me. I'm Sarah at pinheadinstitute.org. We also need housing in D.C. and in Boulder for our terrific students Um, and we'll probably have other housing needs as well. So if you're interested in helping with the housing search, get in touch with me, Sarah Holbrook, uh, and I'm at sarah at pinheadinstitute.org. Thanks for your time. Opinions broadcast over KOTO are those of the speakers. You are also invited to express your views after the news or on access each weekday at around 4 p.m. If you would like to comment, please contact a staff person here at KOTO. We encourage you to speak out on important public issues.